Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. And I'm Drew Miller, your other host for today. It is the 100th episode of the Habit Podcast, so I thought it'd be fun to invite uh, producer slash engineer Drew Miller in to talk about these first 99 episodes. Hey, congratulations on your 100th episode, Jonathan. Well, thank you, Drew. Congratulations to you. I I just do the fun part. I do all the talking and and I hand it over to you and now to Asher Peterson and y'all take care of all the... God bless Asher. Make it magic. Um, And this really is, you know, my favorite part of my job. The podcast is my favorite thing that I do. Um, It's just kind of doing what I like to do anyway. You know, talking to people I want to talk to about things we like to talk about, letting people listen in on the conversation. Uh, I'm just I feel so blessed and fortunate to be able to to do that. And so, in this episode, this this very special episode of the Habit Podcast, we're just gonna. Uh, I, I had asked Habit members, readers of the Habit Weekly, to uh, give me a list of some of their favorite moments in these first 99 episodes. And so we're gonna play a few of those, uh, talk about them. Uh, and just reflect a little bit. So yeah, excited to dive in with you. Yeah. So you know when we when we first started, what well, I guess about a hundred weeks ago because <laughs> we really have we hardly missed any weeks. Um, you know I, I I didn't quite know what we were going to be, what we were biting off. You know, and I, right. I, I didn't know how this was going to shape up, but I I knew. I knew I didn't really want to do a the Terry Gross thing where I mean I love Terry Gross but but you know where a writer of a, of a book comes in and they just talk about what the book's about. I knew it wanted right. to be about writing and the writing process, but I also didn't want it to be like writing advice. Right. Yeah. There's plenty of that. Also. Yeah. Right. And um, and I guess what we you know I, I knew I wanted it to be about the the creative process, but. I guess you know one of my little sayings is writing issues are never just writing issues, mm-hmm. and writing touches on all of life. And so we we managed to define writing broadly enough that we ended up just kind of talking about oh yeah a lot of different stuff. And so you know even when we did talk about um, you know writing advice, it always felt like it was we were talking about something bigger mm-hmm. than writing advice. It's like Vesper Vesper Stamper said. Uh, uh, hopefully I'm quoting her correctly, the work isn't everything, but everything is the work. Mm. And that and that certainly seemed to be the case over these first 99 episodes. And I remember one of the first episodes that we did was with uh, Helena Sorensen. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I got on the subject, I, I'd heard her give a talk about the idea of th- being thick-skinned and being thin-skinned. And it was mm. interesting because I'm always, I always, until I, until I heard Helena give this talk. I would often give writers the advice that they really you really need to be thin skin. I'm sorry, thick skinned to receive criticism and benefit from it, and not take it so personally. And and you know her her thing was, hey, if I wanted to be thick skinned, I'd go off and be a crab fisherman. Right. (laughs) I need you. You need to be thin skinned. So I so I asked her about that, and uh, here's what she here's what she said about that. Tell me about that. When you say you need thin skin, what do you mean by that? Well, I first of all, I see where you're coming from because it's important, I think, for writers to remember that they can't be held up by praise or destroyed by criticism, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's necessary. 
Um, at the same time, I think if you wrap a thick hide around someone whose gifting is based on their sensitivity to the world, you destroy the artist. I mean, when I think of thin skin, I think of um, I think of like the hairs on my arms rising up, uh-huh. uh, um, almost a physical reaction to the atmosphere around me, to the currents in the air. And I think for artists, that's true not just of the physical environment, but of conversations, of relationships, of churches and families and cultures, that we are sensitive to shifts and changes in those things. Um, And I had a conversation with someone recently about um, writers being dismissive of their work. Uh She she was bothered by that. She felt that in, in doing that, writers were shaming the people who were trying to praise them. <laughs> and I, I totally yeah. understood where she was coming from. But at the same time, I was explaining, m- at least my perspective on that, was that the, it was a little bit of a, a shield, a little bit of a self-defense of saying, please don't attack me. Uh-huh. <laughs> I know that I'm, I have failings, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because that has happened in the past and it's painful um, when people just really attack you and your work and what you're saying. Um, However, I think the stronger I build my defenses, the more thick my armor against the world, the more I'm insulated from the very things that I claim to love and that I want to write about. Mm. I mean, if it's impossible for you to hurt me, it's also impossible for you to move me. Isn't that right? Yeah. I love the idea that you don't get a choice what to protect yourself from. If you're protecting yourself from hurt and... uh, and, and trying to you know build up your sort of fortress of self-defense, you're also defending yourself against the very things you love the most. And yeah, the sensitivity that she's kind of fighting for there. That yeah, yeah, it's gorgeous. I know Helena's just, just every time she opens her mouth, something wise comes out. It seems like yeah. in that same episode, she gets on the subject of you know being kind to yourself and uh, and especially with regard to your past work right as, as we move forward mm-hmm. you know we we tend to somehow start dismissing who we used to be you said something uh that I, you were quoting somebody else and you said mm-hmm. last year's words belong to last year's language, language. Mm-hmm. tell me about that this i think this is probably related to the growth mindset but it is and it, it comes i think of several of the things we've been discussing um and and there's a need for, for those of us who have, are writing and we're sharing our work, um, sometimes there's a frustration with our early work, the first mm-hmm. thing we did, the first thing we wrote. And, you know, when you're growing up, you have all those awkward adolescent stages, and only your mom and your siblings have those terrible pictures to go back and laugh over. <laughs> Most of the world knows you as your grown-up self yeah, right. when you've grown into your ears and your arms and legs and mm-hmm. such, and, <clears throat> and you have the dignity of adulthood. But, but in writing, we sort of have to go through all those awkward adolescent stages in the public eye, and all our works are lined <laughs> up on, an, you know, on a level plane on a bookshelf, yeah. um, as though they uh, are all as skillfully executed as each other. Um, and so, my tendency is frustration over the early stuff. Um, and yet, the early stuff, having done that, was how I learned to get to the later stuff. Mm-hmm. If, I hadn't, I, if I had skipped that portion of the journey, I wouldn't be where I am now. Yeah. And so, I, I don't want to treat it with contempt and dismiss it. Um, that poem is a, a, a portion of Eliot. Uh, let me see. It's not The Four Loves. That's Lewis. Um, the Four Quartets. Thank you. Okay. Right. Um, 
last year's words belong to last year's language, and the full-fed beast shall kick the empty pail. <laughs> um, so that I feel like sometimes that's myself. Like I've I've reached this point in writing, and it's easy to go back and dismiss the work that I did when I knew less and had less experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't want to do that because the words that I had last year were the words that I had. That was the best that I had to offer, and I gave it. Yeah. And there's something great about that. Yep. You know, meager though it was, I gave it. Um, but this year's w- words are new and different yeah. and maybe better than last year. And, and I want to give those as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, uh, I thought we were talking about writing and we're just talking about yeah. life. All of a sudden we're talking about being gracious to yourself and growth and maturation yeah. and all these things. Um, yeah. And this, it just, it just, happens over and over again i think you know i i I thought we're talking about writing and here we are getting into some of the most basic issues of identity and who who am i and how how am i going to move around in the world yeah Um, i mean writing is so bound up in identity you know i mean even the way that helena was just describing all of her works being on the same bookshelf right next to each other and the vulnerability of just seeing that uh and knowing that they're all there for the taking. I mean, it's just it's is, worse than getting on the bookshelf. Not you know. it's worse than getting a tattoo. It's more it's more permanent than a tattoo. Yeah, I believe it. I remember you, you know one time when I was talking to Andy Osinga, and this is an example of it was very practical advice, um, and and this happens so often in this podcast. It feels like we're we're talking practical, and we still end up touching on these big mysteries about you know inspiration and in where. Um, the relationship between just sort of tending to your business and then this these good things happening that you had no way of controlling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so so much of the the writing you writing work you do is just learning how to do that that small percentage that's actually really good. Yeah, and you never know when it's going to hit. Right, like that's the thing you can't control. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just. Yeah. Is like when the magic's gonna strike, because and sometimes it's like it's it's the sl- it's it's the slog. It's the days that feel like a slog end up. You come back to it and you go, oh, that was really good. And <laughs> yeah. the days that you're super passionate and you feel great about yourself and you're just like, yeah, I'm killing this, and you're like, that oh, was okay. Yeah, um, it's like the the hilarious jokes you tell in your dream, and then if you ever if you can ever remember that joke, you wake up <laughs> like that was not even funny at all. Oh my gosh. <laughs> amazing well it's also i mean that's the the world of performance is that you you know you play a lot of shows you, you just nail a show you, you just you play a hundred percent you you not just do you hit every right note but you every little phrasing and every all your timing and everything just clicks and, and the audience is yeah and then there's a night where you just you're forgetting words and you're you're just you know, stopping and starting, and you're making huge mistakes. People come up to you with tears in their eyes. I needed tonight. This was just the perfect thing for. And you, but I was terrible tonight. Yeah. You know. How do you account for that, or can you account for that? Well, I think that we, I think we all see ourselves more in humanity than we do in perfection. Yeah. Um, but also, it's another. It proves further that it's not really about us and how we. It's not about how we present ourselves to people, and like, mm-hmm. it's really about how people connect to us, mm-hmm. and and did we invite them in? And yeah. 
I, I'm so much less precious than I used to be, mm. which is, I think, why for the first time I feel like I can bring other people in as uh-huh. I realize I don't always have the best things to say. And other people have great things to say, great things to contribute. I would love that their help. And yeah. I don't have to feel like I'm the contributor of every great idea mm-hmm. for it to be good, which has definitely been something that I took a lot of pride in having every great idea. And yeah. guess what? They're not yeah. all that great. <laughs> Man, if you can push through to selflessness or self-forgetfulness, hmm. it's like a whole new ball game. It really is. It's so much. It's so hard to get there. So what's interesting to me is I hear him talking about art and craft, mm-hmm. maybe in relationship between those two things, because uh, that's those are categories that have been really helpful to me as well. In terms of, you know, he's talking about how so often as a young writer or whatever the medium is that you're working with, the thing that draws you to that. Uh, discipline is the art. It's the, um, you know, the beauty and the ability to connect and have an outlet for your sad emotions and all <laughs> this. Um, but then the craft is the thing that takes discipline and practice where you keep showing up and keep showing up in order to maybe one day meet the art again, yeah, you know, and right. have that kind of descent. And so when he starts talking about these shows where, you know, for him, one show might feel like, the sort of artistic uh, pinnacle of what mm-hmm. he can do. And for an audience member, it's fine. Yeah. Um, but another show might feel like uh, everything he's doing is just showing up and putting in his best, but it's not enough. And that's kind of the craft perspective. But to an audience member, that was the pinnacle of an artistic experience yeah. for them. And so, you know, you ask, like, is there any accounting for that? And I think that's such an interesting... Um, angle on that question because as it is a mystery of sorts yeah. there isn't there is no accounting for that yeah, right but that's why it's so fascinating that's why it's so worth um, discussion in the first place. that's what i was about to say that's why it's a conversation and not a in that question and answer right 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 <laughs> uh, one of the members of the habit was talking about that exchange and she said I'm in my mid-30s, and I feel like that moment made me realize all the ways I hope to grow in the next couple of years. To stop performing and instead serve others. It's like a light bulb went off in my head. Oh, this is how I become a more mature artist. Praise the Lord, someone else has been, had been through this before. Yeah. I just, I mean, that just made me so happy to, to hear that. You know, that, that, that this, I, I said something earlier about having these conversations that I want to have anyway, and then letting other people just kind of listen in on them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is really a switch, too, that gets flipped. And um, in some ways, you can't manufacture that flipping of that switch. You know, you have to go through the desire to perform in order (laughs) to get to the desire to serve. Yeah. It's it's okay, you know. Yeah. It's just the way we grow up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Speaking of uh, good practical writing advice that's, feels like more than just good practical writing advice. I love my conversation with Hannah Anderson, who's, you know, besides being a writer, is also a gardener, and, you know, she loves being out in the woods. I'll just give you a a small example. Gardening teaches you um, that a seed has to fall into the ground and sit under the earth before it germinates. Yeah. And I think about my own 
process with my projects or getting an idea and, and wanting to immediately develop it and getting stuck with it and coming to terms with the fact that, no, that idea just needs time to germinate. Yeah. It's not that I'm a slacker or I haven't given enough time to it. It's that some projects and some ideas have to lie under the ground until it's time for them to sprout and come to full growth and fruition. And so it's even something as simple as that has given me the category of patience mm -hmm. with my own um, creative projects to say it's okay if I get an idea and it's not until six months, a year, five years later that it actually comes into plant and yeah. into flowering. Yeah. So something as simple as that really has taught me a level of patience. It also teaches you the limits of what you can do. Right. So you're, you're working not just on your own, you are literally partnering with the forces around you, with mm -hmm. creation, all under the hand of a sovereign God. And yet, you are so dependent on these forces. You're dependent on the weather. You're dependent on, um, you know, any kind of brokenness that would come in and steal away mm -hmm. your work. And so, for me, even within my work, I, I learned that writing is not just about me. Um, it's mm -hmm. not about whether I do sufficient work to produce something. It is about all of these other forces that I'm in partnership with, as well as ones I'd rather not be in partnership with. All of the things that oh. are beyond me that I can't control, even if I give myself fully and completely and do what I need to do to write a beautiful thing, there are other forces that can scuttle that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, um, if you don't mind, like, I, I had a thought. So... There, like I, I've read, I've read Parker Palmer talking about productivity in terms of seasons and uh -huh. how um, we are so uh, prone to only seeing fruitfulness as above ground, visible. Mm, yeah. This thing is uh, blossoming and yielding fruit that I can see with my eyes, and yet winter is so important and like mm -hmm. everything that's going on under the ground. Um, and I, I just love how she's offering this fresh, uh, more seasonal understanding of productivity yeah. that it's liberating. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which is also a way of talking about spiritual growth and spiritual, mm -hmm. you know, wisdom, mm -hmm. um, which again, major, recurring theme in and part of it's because of the particular because the, I mean not part of it most of it's because the authors and sure. they're talking yeah. to um, but you know like uh, Randy Goodgame um, mm -hmm. you know when well let's just let's just play some passages from from that again Randall whatever he's talking about always ends up oozing with gospel truth and, and so you know as, as we were talking um, you know He's, he gets on the subject, again, I thought we were talking about writing, but we're also talking about confidence and discipline and flourishing in all of life. But yeah, writing out of the sort of the wellspring of freedom and the joy of getting to create um, without condemnation is, um, that's a huge part of 
being productive, I think, because then you can just keep writing and not worrying about, you know, finding, trusting that you're going to find the good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Something I talk to to my writing students about sometimes is um, confidence is, is not, you think everything you make is good. Confidence is, is being able to, you know, being confident enough to say, Oh, that's, that's not as good as I, is it, it could be right. Or, or this is confidence says, you know, this work isn't the best I've ever done. And that's okay because I'm okay. <laughs> you know I mean? It's, it's a, that's, that's such an important idea. Yeah. yeah Having the confidence you. to be able to, uh, to not be crushed when you, when you fail. Creativity flows out of freedom, not out of, you know, uh, not out of fear, not out of uh, rigor, <laughs> you know. Um, and yet, the creative life and productivity requires discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, can we talk a little bit about the difference between discipline and legalism. You know, the the when you make rules for yourself that I'm going to sit down at a certain time of day, you know, I've got rules that I'm going to hold myself accountable to. Mm-hmm. Is that legalism? Is that something, are you comfortable with the, with, the, with the language of, okay, there's a little bit of legalism that's helpful in the creative life, but then um, you also have to have freedom and joy. Yeah. No, no. I, I, You're not comfortable with that, not, with that language. I, I want, yeah. Legalism, I think is just always bad. And so I would, I love what you called it. It's discipline is what we need. Mm -hmm. Um, And the rules that, um, because with legalism, there is always an element of um, your, of earning merit. Mm, I'm going to be justified by following these rules. Yeah. And discipline is, uh, you know, a a series of rules that we put together um, outside that whole con- legalistic context. It's, mm-hmm. you know, for flourishing and as we are being good stewards of our gifts, which we are lifting up for the Lord to bless um, or to, you know, as an offering to him, you know, as a, I don't write every day, mm-hmm. but when I'm in a season of writing, it, it does help to be disciplined about um, being consistent because it is hard to turn on and off the spigot, at least for me. Mm-hmm. You you used a a term that is exceedingly helpful, and that is flourishing. Right? The the we set up parameters for ourselves that will lead to flourishing, mm-hmm. um, and and legalism, more or less by definition, is not leading to flourishing. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess that's maybe that's the difference between rules and and what we think of as legalism is legalism can't lead to flourishing because it is a kind of, it leads to a, a, a self, you know, proving yourself or justifying yourself or whatever that can't possibly lead to flourishing. Whereas discipline, if, if the, if the goal of, you know, the goal of discipline is flourishing, not discipline, right? Yeah. I I think that's, there you go. Discipline, the goal of discipline is not discipline. The goal of discipline is flourishing. And if your goal is discipline, you got, something's off. When Randall talks, it's always gospel insight, you know? And and that that insight, the difference between, I I keep, I, I, I 
have come back many times to that idea of you know that discipline leads to flourishing. Yeah. And there's other kinds of commitment to rules that doesn't. And I've, I've come to ask myself, yeah. I mean, this is kind of a way of being in the world for me yeah. now. Yeah. Totally. Is this leading to flourishing or is it leading to something else? Right. Yeah. And so much of that is just a, about good boundaries around your work and knowing what you are and what you aren't. Like, I mm-hmm. am not this thing I'm working on. I might invest a lot of my identity and energy into a project, but that does not mean that my, my value as a person yeah. is uh, dictated by the success or quality yeah. of, the, of the work. Yeah. Yeah. Like Vesper Stamper said, the work isn't everything, even though everything is the work. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd said a minute ago that, that, you know, that conversation with Randall gave me a way to be in the world. And, and speaking of sort of a way to be in the world, a, a lot of conversations over the last 99 episodes have ended up being, how do we, as responsible users of language, enter into, you know, the debates, the conversations in a fractured and fracturing culture. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, Marilyn McIntyre, who's sort of a ninja in that department, had this to say. And when I teach argumentation in writing courses or when I have taught it, one of the things we start with is um, making concessions. Mm-hmm. Just how much concession can you make? Because the more you can afford to concede, the more you can recognize that another position is plausible or viable, the more generous you can be about that, the more credibility you also gain for your own position. Because it says, I've arrived at my position after having sifted through a lot of things that have merit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I've found my place on that 365 degree circle. The other thing that I resist about debate is the either or mentality. Mm -hmm. Um, People keep talking these days about listening to the other side. And I think Uh we are so bifurcated politically and in so many other ways in this culture, but really there are never just two sides to every question. There are 365 sides. Yeah. Just so so to resist that tendency to just polarize, I think, mm-hmm. takes some vigorous attention to the form of the conversation. Isn't that great? The more generous you can be, the more credibility you have. That's a complete 180 from <laughs> the way that discourse happens in, uh, in our culture at the moment. Yeah. I love how completely, yeah, just opposite uh, that perspective is. Yeah. You know, one thing that I have I've learned through these um, these ninety nine episodes is that when we think of you know the creative process, um, I have I've learned to stop thinking of it. I don't guess I really did think of it as a you know here are five steps to creative success, but but I've, I've what I keep hearing over and over from writers is the idea that you just sort of wade in and then figure out your process after you've waded in. You know, that, that the the journey is not, um, what's the word? I mean, it's, it, well, it's, you know how journeys go. <laughs> you, you, yeah. you start and 
a journey in the dark, you can't see beyond your headlights. The map, but you can see to the next curve. The map is not reality. Right. And you'll learn that by engaging with reality. Yeah. So, so this is Lisa Dean, uh, who wrote a book about uh, pilgrimages. Yeah. You know, for me, I need to have some general idea. I, like, I won't start a, a big project unless I know, unless I have an idea of where I'm going. But also, once I get in the middle, I realize I didn't know where I was going. Yes. <laughs> and and to embrace that, and to be and to be willing to. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? To be willing to not just accept, but embrace that that truth um, really leaves me open to to write something better than I had than I had in my you know than what I had in mind at the beginning. Oh, I I agree with that. Both for yes, for writing and the spiritual life. That it's one of the paradoxes or tensions of pilgrimage that I've learned to embrace, which is we. We do know where we're going, at least in, mm-hmm. in life. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we don't know. As Thomas Merton said, you know, I, I have no idea where I'm going. And the, it, it is a tension. And I used to want to really try to resolve that tension. But yeah. that's, that's what the path is. You know and you don't know. Mm-hmm. And well, that's what makes everyone's path also be different and unique. It's not like it's a formula. Yeah, but to embrace the uncertainty in writing too. I'm a big outliner. I just like to have things, you know, just really set out. Um, And in this book, I had it pretty set out because I knew I wanted to follow Pilgrim's journey step by step. So I had the structure. I want Mm -hmm. to follow them to Jerusalem every step of the way. But I was still surprised in the middle. There were plenty of surprises. I ended up adding a chapter. that I hadn't planned. Um, there's, there's always a surprise. And I, I think yeah. we do write to, to find out what we want to say or to wrestle with our faith and that we don't always know where yeah. it's going to go. Yeah, right. A, a map is a very different thing from a journey, right? You know, yes. when, when you, uh, you, any journey can be um, uh, diagrammed on a map. But that's very different from seeing the mountains or facing the robbers or whatever it is that that happens on that journey. Right. You don't know when you're right there. You can't see over the Alps. And then, you know, Tish Harrison Warren, she's actually been on twice now um, because she's written two books since we started. Um, She said something, you know, it's kind of the same thing in a different way. Someone um, interviewed me for a podcast recently and, and sort of, we were talking about this question of, you know, how, how do you trust God if you can't trust God for bad things happening? And he said, like, so, you know, like, what was your answer kind of thing? And I was like, I didn't have, I didn't have an answer. And, and he said, well, then how'd you write the book? And I really, I realized, Oh no, 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 that I don't, when I write a book, I don't have a question, sit down, totally come up with the answer, write it in outline form, decide what to say, and then sit down and write the answer. I, I answer the question by writing the book. Like I yeah. have, this was part, I mean, part of the way I understand this book is it was a, it was a book. I, I didn't want to write this book. I, I actually was sitting down to write a different book and, mm. and ended up sort of 
have, having feeling like I had I had to write this book. Um, and part of that for me was that um, this was the question I was avoiding. I, what I was wrestling with was how to trust God, and this and it was it was a question I was using all kinds of things from distraction to theology to like mm-hmm. get around and not have to deal with. And so um, it really took me writing. 70, 80,000 words on this, reading a ton on this, and then taking those 70, 80,000 words and editing them and changing them and, and um, down to about 40,000, then sending that to an editor, having them interact with it, get back to me with questions and changes. I, I had to go through that whole process to be able to, uh, where I feel, I feel settled to be able to learn to trust God again, honestly, and to be able to sort of um, know truth that I didn't know. I, I really do think that writers and other makers, like I, I think with my hands, so I don't Uh decide. Madeline Lingle talked about this too. I don't decide what to say and then write it down. I, 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 I find out, what I think and believe by writing it down, if yeah. that makes sense. I love that because it. I'm a verbal processor. Uh-huh. And so to me that there's like a visceral way in which that makes sense. Like I'm talking right now and I have no idea what's about to come out of my mouth, <laughs> but I will come to understand my own thoughts and like yeah. where I, how I see reality by talking. Yeah. And I feel like in some ways writing, I mean, you're, you're kind of doing that and not that everybody's, you know, the same kind of processing, but yeah. um, by putting pen to paper, you are making yourself vulnerable to the changing of your mind. Yeah, right? that's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Um, we don't have Doug McKelvey queued up, but, but there's a, he talks about, he was funny, he said, there's a, there's a joke, somebody has a face for radio, he says, I have a, I, I have a thought process that's not for podcasting. That's what Doug said about himself because he said, I start a sentence and I don't know how I'm going to finish it. And it takes me, yeah. you know, it, as I start the sentence and then I start looking for what, basically what rhymes to finish yeah. that idea. You know, that I, I put out the, the subject of the predicate and then, and then hopefully by the time I get to the object, I know what I'm saying. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> and that makes so much sense with his Every Moment Holy liturgies. I mean, yeah. just thinking about that way of thinking and and how it just I, I just picture his liturgies as these streams of, of of riffing like that yeah right oftentimes i will i will take so many runs at a sentence because i have i get the first part of the thought down and then it can be this laborious process of okay what's the next where does this lead what's uh-huh. the next logical or the next um you know, poetic aesthetic phrase or what, where is this going? And only when I get to the end of it finally and can put the period on that sentence, can I then step back and look at it and say, okay, is this working? Is it, is it working on, on every level, Yeah. you know, in terms of meaning and aesthetic um, and then adjust it from there. But yeah, I think it's, it's part of why writing is a paralyzing process to me so often is because I'm just, I'm afraid of that unknown. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Even down to the level of a sentence, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so, but it seems to me we're talking about a, a, a walk of faith here, so to speak. That, that a trust that if I if I launch into this, because, well, you tell me if, if you think this is true. Does everything rhyme with everything? Anyway, in, in in some sense, in other words, if 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 I if I launch into this thing, I'm going to find what it rhymes with. Although it may not be on the first try, I would I would say yes with some caveat because I think that everything that is true rhymes with everything that is true, mm-hmm. or maybe we could say everything that is true, good, beautiful rhymes with everything that is true, good, mm-hmm. and beautiful. Yeah. Um. So certainly, I think there are ideas we could express that. Um, you know, whether it's the aesthetic level or the level of morality or mm-hmm. theology, yeah, where we we experience a dissonance um, in works of art that we encounter, whether it's writing or a movie or or whatever it might be, um, because we recognize that's not lining up with reality with what I know to be true. That's not, you know, this is elevating what is degraded mm-hmm. um, rather than, you know, elevating what is what is good and, and right and commendable. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, all things as they should be do rhyme uh-huh. with one another, uh-huh. right? Um, but our ears become trained and, and our consciences become trained to recognize that that dissonance this isn't exactly a stopping place but we aren't even halfway through these clips that we've selected to talk about so why don't we just wrap up here for this week pick it up right here again next week yep so much goodness so much goodness. can't wait to dive back in sounds good This podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. And all our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate. Special thanks as well to Taylor Linhart for letting us use her song Diamonds as the theme music for season three of The Habit Podcast. You can learn more about Taylor and follow her work at taylorlinhart.com. The Habit Membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co.